This is Against the Odds, profiling the lives of those who have conquered in the face of adversity. In this series, I had severe pains everywhere previously in the legs, back in the head. I was not able to walk for three months. So at one point, I was using some crutches. Eventually, I used a wheelchair. It was just scary, terrifying. I didn't know what to do anymore at that point. Even my parents were scared for me. We didn't know why any of that was happening. Then two contrasting things happened. I could walk again. Every single pain in my body was gone. But so was my vision. I'm Philip Anderson, and this is Did It, a new series of podcasts from Against the Odds, with my guest, Hayley Valenti. Episode 1, Lights Out. There was a bunch of tests being done with cables hooked up to me and looking inside my eyes and my head, and they found nothing wrong with me. Haley was just eight and a half years old when she lost her sight altogether, after she'd contracted a paralyzing and puzzling illness that lasted three months, a condition which she was accused of faking by members of the medical fraternity. They thought, she could see, she just doesn't think she can. So they attempted to diagnose you with conversion disorder. The subject, meaning me, is pretending to have a condition of me being blind when I really didn't have it. So they were saying in medical terms, they thought I was faking it. A condition which took 10 years to diagnose and which left her emotionally drained and angry in the early stages of her trauma. I felt insulted as a young child who was trying to express like, something's wrong, like, we need to get it checked out. Like, I just want to know, why am I blind? Why this happened to me? And for the longest time, I did not get those kind of answers. This is a story of succeeding against the odds. It's a story of ambition and hope. At the time, I just thought, what am I going to do? Because no one believed me besides my family. Of course they did. What am I going to do if I'm blind? What can I do? Over time, I felt way better about myself and about life because doors were opening up to me for resources such as the mobility cane and Braille and things like that. Of creativity. An account of one young lady's determination to test her limits. And Haley Valenti joins me now. Haley, a very warm welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Philip. I'm so glad to be here. Hopefully you've arrived the right way up this time. <laughs> I definitely have came all the way up, unlike the time when I tried to do a five-second handstand in the swimming pool in my aunt and uncle's community pool. It lasted for like five seconds, thank goodness, because I'm not good at holding my nose or holding my breath underwater. So at least I was able to do it for five seconds. I wish I could do it for a full minute, but that was not the case. Well, five seconds is quite an achievement, isn't it? 
Definitely. My previous record before that was like two seconds. <laughs> so. Against the Odds. Celebrating those who have conquered in the face of adversity. With Philip Anderson. But why a handstand though? I'm quite curious. You know, you could have done other tricks stood on your head or something like that. The only type of trick I could do underwater is attempt to do a handstand because it's more easier to do it underwater versus than doing a doing it on land on the sidewalk or some grass. And for, apparently for me, because I don't have super good upper body strength, I wouldn't even attempt to try to stand on my head. And also, whenever I try to do like a front flip, it seems like I'm doing like uh, left and right twist instead of doing a front flip. Apparently, so <laughs> it just seemed like a handstand was like the most easiest to do underwater. It definitely turned out well for me for a good five seconds of my of my life at one point, so I was really pleased. Well, you're quite a, uh, I wasn't saying a risk taker, but do you like a challenge? I definitely do. I'm willing to try new things, and if it sounds safe, but also tricky and challenging, I'm up for it. And you've done several things, haven't you, sports-wise, you know, that have been quite challenging, you know, skiing and one or two other things. Tell us about some of those. So one type of sport I did was water tubing, where we had this big water tube that was attached to a boat. And this was during a sports camp. It was called H2O Camp, matter of fact. Everyone who was on board had a life vest, a life jacket. So if you were on the tube in the back, if you fell, you could be able to keep yourself afloat. And they also had a lifeguard with you on the float in the back. So if you did fall off, they could rescue you like they're supposed to do, because that's the reason why they're called lifeguards. And if you want them to speed up, you just give them a thumbs up. Or if you want them to slow down, you can do a thumbs down. That was with water tubing. And another sport we also did was um, water skiing. It's the same uh, method where we're attached to the back of the boat. We're waiting our turns with life vests on, on board. And there's some stand-up skis where you just stand up and ski like normal. And there's also these ones where you can just sit down in this little uh, long rectangle seat where they also have handles. And they're make sure that you're also secure inside of it so you won't fall out of it. So that's just a safety thing. And it's the same rules. Thumbs up for fast, thumbs down for slow down. And my balance is not the best. So that's the reason why I did the sit down option for the skis instead of the standing up option. I take it you love water then? I love water. I love to swim. I love to go to the beach. I love those types of things, yes. Yeah, a lot of people find it very therapeutic. I know Martin, who was one of my guests at the beginning, um, said that he loved the sound of running water. But you're more into the sports or the water sports, aren't you? When I was a teenager, those were the types of camps I went to, yes. Yeah, and what's interesting is you lost your sight at the age of eight, and we're going to be talking about this um, later on in the podcast. Uh, all of these sports that you've been talking about, you've actually done since losing your sight. Uh, yeah, so before I even lost my sight, I only did like one type of sport. But after I lost my sight, I did get way into more sports. A couple of them include track and field and goalball. But goalball was one of my favorites because goalball is just basically a ball with a bell. And there's three people on each team. There's one on the left, one on the right, which are your left and right wings. And then you have someone in the middle who's called the center. And you basically get the ball past your opponents into their goal. The only part that's not fun about it is getting hit in the face with the ball, which that happened to me one time. 
it's fun, don't get me wrong, but you have to make sure you're blocking correctly with your hands and make sure you have really good reflexes to move left or right on the floor quick enough in order to get the ball in your hands and not your face. So, Did you find it quite frightening at first doing sports um, not long after you'd lost your sight? I mean, was it quite a frightening experience? Uh, actually, no, not for me, because I was blind for about five or six years before I did my very first sport in the seventh grade, which was back in 2012. I was 13 at the time, and we did track and field where there was throwing events, there was jumping, and then there was running where we had these cables with a little rope or a little handle so you wouldn't get cable burns, and it helps you run into a straight line. Those were the sprint races that we did, and those were really fun. Mm. And how did you fare at school in sports? Did you uh, win any contests? Actually, with my running uh, sprinting events, I got fourth place for most of the time out of six places, so that was pretty cool. Um, For a throwing event, I got second place before. Another running event where it was with the main big track where when you run like a full lap, except for we did half of it, I got second place out of three places, so that was cool. And then the overall score for my senior year in high school back in 2018, the girls' team won first place for it. So that was really cool because we either got third place most likely every year. So third place again for my last year of track would have been pretty cool, but first place was overwhelming in a good way. Well, well done you, and that's quite an achievement by the sounds of it. Thank you. Yeah, all my teammates and I did well. And has sport continued to play quite a major part of your life since leaving school? Uh, yes, because some other things I did after high school was do like walks and 5K races. And those were really fun. I did those a couple of times. Was that just purely for pleasure or were you doing it for charity? or? Uh, so... My dad, who passed away in 2018 due to this disease called ALS, I I apologize, but I cannot pronounce the name for the life of me, but it's basically a disease where it weakens your um, muscles. So if it affects your arms, you won't be able to lift anything. If it affects your legs, you can't walk, stuff like that. And there's still no cure for it till this day. So the ALS walks, whenever there is one available, we do walk to raise money for the cause and hopefully find a cure for it. So I've done that a couple of times. Oh, that's a courageous thing to do. And uh, what about the fundraising side of it? Um, did you sort of go out with any particular targets in mind as to how much you would like, you know, wanted to raise? Uh, it didn't matter to me of what it was, as long as we like raised like even a dollar, which that was definitely achieved. Um, I was really pleased with the experience. I was just glad I was able to do the physical part of things, like just doing the walk or even doing a little bit of a jog every once in a while with a person who I'd be walking with. I was not a runner for that because 5Ks are long. So I just mainly did walking for it, but I enjoyed it. But no, the money part didn't really matter to me. How long did it take you to cover the course then, 5K? Uh, less than an hour, so maybe roughly like 57, 58 minutes. That's pretty some going, isn't it? 
Yeah, because it wasn't just straight walking for me. I mean, I was labeled as a walker because they did have runners where if you were a runner, they gave you a number. So they would say like runner number 22, for example. But I was just a walker. But at the end, when I like got to the end of a 5K race that I did, they did clarify me as a runner because they said, well, she was running into the finish line. So that's what they clarified me as for a 5K that I did for another occasion. But those were fun. Well, we have titled this podcast, Did It? And there have been a number of things that you've achieved. But in terms of you as an individual, uh, going from being sighted at the age of eight to losing your sight and to overcoming everything, can I ask when you lost your sight and as you were growing up, did you ever feel a sense of wanting to give up? Or if you didn't, why didn't you give up? Despite me being terrified and sad of me losing my sight at, at age of eight and a half and the doctor at the time thinking like they couldn't figure out what was wrong, they thought there was nothing wrong, I definitely didn't let that determine who I was or define me. I definitely continued with my elementary school education. I did try out with sports and the theater club for a year in high school and the other types of sports tournaments and band and choir and everything else in community college and now university i feel like i did it all and there's a lot more stuff for me to do why didn't you give up giving up was not an option i felt like just because i'm blind that doesn't mean i i'm not willing to try anything or do anything new or or at least relearning how to do something because now i'm blind i felt like being blind does not determine who i am and just my efforts do and I am who I am, and I'm proud of it. So you wouldn't say your disability defines you then? Absolutely not. No, my disability is just like a extra part of me where it's noticeable for anyone to know, like, okay, she's blind. But no, it does not define me at all. I don't allow it to. What does define you? My efforts in life, me trying out new things, me being, me being willing to help out anyone with anything, whether if it's assistive technology or relationship advice or anything else. So anything that involves me trying to do something or helping out someone, I felt like I served myself well by being me. Excellent. And would you say you're happy with what you've achieved so far? Absolutely. I don't regret anything that I've done. I wouldn't change a thing. If I was able to go back in the past and change something, I would not change a thing. Haley, that's been most insightful. Thank you very much indeed, and certainly whetted our appetite for things to come in this series of Did It from Against the Odds. Well, just to round off this first episode, I thought we could take a look at your creative interests. I know you love to play the piano whenever you get the opportunity, have a passion for the written word, and have written and produced your own short stories and uh, stage plays. And uh, talking of which, you've done a bit of acting in the past, trodden the boards, as we say. So much to look forward to. Let's dive in, shall we? What have you achieved against the odds? Request to be a guest and share your story. Go to againsttheoddspodcast.com. Whether you're an artist, musician, performer, or writer, when it comes to creativity, 
It's safe to say everyone has their own unique style and approach. Starting with the dulcet tones of this English musician and producer, Imogen Heap, who transforms everyday sounds like brushing teeth and slamming doors into unique compositions, while pushing the boundaries of traditional songwriting with her own distinct original sound. I think it's, um, then there's Banksy, the anonymous English artist who utilises public spaces as his canvas, combining satire and human and social commentary to create compelling artwork that challenges societal norms. It was a very old house. And not forgetting Neil Gaiman, the acclaimed English writer who crafts his immersive narratives by blending elements of fantasy, mythology and dark storytelling, diving into profound human experiences while infusing his work with imaginative twists and turns. Miss Spink and Miss Forcible lived in the flat below Coraline's on the ground floor. I started playing the piano back in 2011. It was actually in the school for the blind. And Haley Valenti, my guest today, is no exception. I just found a piano in the back room of the dorm I was in. Two years later, during Christmas in 2013, I got my first keyboard. I was really into it. I played with it every day. And during my first year of high school, I had piano lessons, and I learned three songs. And during the spring concert of that year, I played two of the three songs that I learned in my lessons. So the types of songs that I would love to like teach myself how to play and sing at the same time or even just to play them is mainly like the today's music. So either pop songs, country songs, and I also write my own songs where I just pick like random chords that would fit the voice that I have. Or I just improv and just press like a bunch of chords that sound good together and just make like improv pieces. Most of them are love songs breakup songs and of course the situations I don't get them from them happening to me personally they're just general ideas of what can happen during a breakup or what can happen during a natural general love song usually like any other artist they come up lyrics before they come up with a title I'm totally the opposite if I don't have a title I can't write lyrics So once I have like a title, I usually just do it in order. So like verse one, the chorus, verse two, the second chorus, a bridge, even a third verse if I have one, and then do like the final chorus, then a closing section. I gotta think hard of like what I really want the song to say or like what the message of the song is because there's always a meaning behind every story, every song. It might be just a silly 
outside. So I write just because, or it might be a song where I want it to have a lot of meaning. I want people to understand what the song is really about. So if it's the part where I really want someone to understand what the song's about, I definitely write like smaller sections one at a time and probably to like a bathroom break or get like a bite to eat or something. But it's definitely not all at once all the time. It makes me feel special because I feel like I'm like the first person in my um, family to do that. And I'm not afraid to share like my skill and talent of writing a song or playing like the piano or anything or even attempting to sing and play at the same time, which that was very hard. And I was able to do that with two song covers that I have on my YouTube also, which I was really pleased with. But no, I'm really proud of my progress from 2013 to getting my first keyboard and my very first song cover to up to what I have now. Gone, a play by Haley Valente. Act one. Scene one, narrator. On the day September 5th, Besides doing songwriting and singing and doing covers of songs, acting's another type of hobby that I love to do. College started. It's a lovely sunny Monday morning and everyone is arriving on campus. Entering left stage is Katie Montel. She has blonde hair. I have a good grandma impression. I do pretty good, like little child impression too. Or if someone would say, like if you can act like such and such, could you do it? Most likely, I can. In criminal justice, I want to become a police officer. I think that Academy of Law is a great school for that type of career. Macy. Ever since I've been writing my plays, sometimes I would take the characters I would write and just act them out for fun. And hopefully in the future, I can get them to some theater companies and make an act them out. And I can say, yep, I did well with this. That's awesome. Narrator. Both the girls start to unpack their things and get their room as pretty as a princess's castle. Holy mother in heaven. Well, how about calls to mind Walt Disney's Pinocchio? Because the star is wooden, ought to be hung by piano wire, and swallowed by the first whale that enters Boston Harbor. Who wrote that? The Christian Science Monitor. Carmen, you're the... Back in my ninth grade year of high school, we did Hold That Curtain. It was basically about a theater class getting ready for a play. Let me consult with the writing team. Georgia, Aaron, does debacle have two meanings? No. No. Well, that's a shame. My character, her name was... Ellen Montgomery. She was the high school sweet girl. I mean, what kind of man would take a job like that? What kind of slob would take a job like that? She was one of the main characters where there was three acts of the play, and the second act, she was mainly being accused of stealing money, so the only line she had was just going, (gasps) like she was in shock. That's all she had to say. And it was a musical, so there were songs too. I studied the script so much where there was a person in the back where they had someone feeding out lines if you needed it. And that did not happen to me once. I remembered every single thing. I was really pleased. Action. No. And then another play that we did, it was actually visiting hours. Anyone should ask, you know, like the neighbors, for example. No. I was the nurse taking care of like a grandpa character and saying like, your family should come visit more often. And I only had like five lines because it was a mini play. Now for anyone who might be languishing under the illusion that it's inconceivable for someone with sight loss, like Haley, to be able to navigate the stage unaided, 
is grossly mistaken, as you're about to have those misconceptions of yours well and truly dashed. The whole that curtain play, the setup was quite easy, so we were instructed of like which side of the curtain to come out of. So there's like a left entrance, a right entrance, or like straight out of the center of the curtain. And we would just like walk to a certain part of the stage and we were never like close to the edge of the stage so we wouldn't fall. And we were not using our canes during this. We we would just like walk around, walk a couple steps and just stand there and say what we need to say. And then once we go backstage, we just go back and sit down. And that was it for the physicality wise. But other than that, everyone else who was on stage are either visually impaired or blind and they did the exact same thing. So it was a safe set up and no one fell and got hurt and no one bumped into each other because we were told during practices and rehearsals of like when to walk and where to walk and when to stop and just say a line and that was about it. Up until now, every character Haley has ever played has been classed as non-blind. Did she have any objections? Even though they were sighted characters, it could have been someone who is blind, visually impaired, or sighted, could have gone either way. So just acting like a sighted person wasn't really hard. Because you do everything else, the only thing you would have to do is, like if you're walking more further than you had to, to have your hands out or to use the cane, but that was about it. My character, Ellen, for example, she would be waving her hand, so that's what I would do. Or there's a part where someone had to go like, him, like, so like they're talking to somebody, they would do that going, okay, they're trying to get someone's attention. So there would always be in parentheses of like what visual cue you would have to do for like the audience to see. It was pretty valid for me. Like even if we forgot exactly like what hand gesture we were supposed to do, we can always ad lib like like just come up with something on the spot to stir place. And if you forgot, so you not whack anybody in the face or anything like that. Oh no, that didn't happen. No, thank gosh. <laughs> oh indeed, and it's apparent to me that you are passionate about acting how you just love to throw yourself into character, the various roles you've assumed, your perspicacity, your versatility. And to judge by all those high school performances we've just been hearing about, you've definitely had a lot of fun doing it along the way. But now that you're at university, has all of that changed? Are we looking at a totally different future now? Where do you see yourself in relation to the stage? I'm hoping to actually get like a minor in theater or something like that when, like within like the second year of school for the university that I'm going to, because I think they have um, theater as a minor. And if I'm able to get that, then I'm, that's what I'm planning to do. I would have to explore my options and then I would be able to have a better answer, but not particularly. Whether if it's like the main character or like one of the characters who would have like a bunch of lines or who could be noticed more, because it's kind of boring just to play this, like the small characters, like just say like one or two things. But if it's like the effort of starting from the bottom of doing it like a character that either doesn't speak to just like visual stuff or just saying like one or two lines in order to get up to the main one, then I'm up for it. I had to like do like research of how to like submit scripts to do stuff like that. Because I, I have written them. I have them on my computer. It's just I haven't figured out how to send them off to companies to perform them or if you have to be like a professional playwright with a degree or something in order to do it. I have to look into that but i would love for that to happen because then i'd be impressed with myself along with the people in the audience going wow these people are doing very well at this play yeah yeah well indeed you never know someone listening today might just get in touch and make you an offer you can't refuse 
But the future is bright. You still have a lot to look forward to. You're only 22 at university, so who knows? But in the meantime, Haley, thank you very much indeed for uh, being my guest on Against the Odds. This is Did It, a new series of podcasts with my guest, Haley Valente. Well, coming up in episode two, we're going to be focusing on three major landmarks in your life, from early childhood blindness to a serious accusation and a 10-year wait. And you'll find all the details on this on the againsttheodspodcast.com website, where you can also listen to this episode again. This podcast is also available on your smart speaker and wherever it is you happen to consume your media. You'll find all the details on how to listen on our website. We'll you'll also be able to complete our online guest request ticket if it is you would like to share your story. And if it is you haven't subscribed to the podcast, may I encourage you to do so. It does help others to find us. In the meantime, whatever it is you're doing, do it safely. Take care. Oh, and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Bye-bye. Like this podcast? Why not leave us a review? Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash against. Thank you for listening to this edition of Against the Odds, the bi-monthly motivational podcast celebrating the lives of those who have conquered in the face of adversity, produced and presented by Philip Francis Anderson. Whether you have a story of your own to share or you would like to be involved with the podcast in some other way, email info at againsttheoddspodcast.com or visit www.againsttheoddspodcast.com for more information and to submit a guest request ticket. This podcast is the property of Philip Francis Anderson. All rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited other than the following. We welcome you to download and play the podcast and share with others for personal use. Please acknowledge Against the Odds motivational podcast as the source of the material. You may not, except with our expressed written permission, distribute or commercially exploit the content.